no one likes a parasite. Bloodsucker, leech, these are not terms of endearment. And yet, no one can deny that proximity to the right entity can be quite valuable, salvific even when the hanger-on cannot provide what they need for themselves. This is a story about consequences and grace. It's a story about choosing the voices to which we give ear and how that choice shapes everything. And it's a story about a God known to mete out merciful punishment and punishing mercy. A God who loves enough to speak and cares deeply whether we listen. I'm Justin Gerhardt. Welcome to Holy Ghost Stories. man of God lies in the road, his body twisted unnaturally. One eye staring blankly into the distance, the other eye gone. The dark abyss of his eye socket begins a gaping red canyon carved across his cheek, running down to his jaw. The topography of his abdomen, too, has been altered. A snarl of lacerations mimic and miniature the hills and valleys surrounding this road between Judah and Bethel. Blood pools on the soil, out of place and useless. His chest does not rise or fall. Standing over the man of God, a donkey. It breathes slowly. The skin of its shoulder twitches every so often, disrupting hungry flies. Standing beside the donkey, a lion. Deep, tired breaths and a gradually calming heartbeat. Crimson stains its paws and the light fur around its lips. The giant cat does not touch the donkey, nor does it touch the mangled body. King Jeroboam stands beside the great stone altar of Bethel and raises his hands in worship. The hill country spreads out around him, the territory of the newly seceded northern tribes on full display from this pinnacle. Murmuring priests flank the self-christened ruler. They wave incense. The smoke snakes its way into the air and taints the atmosphere with its smell. 
flames char the flesh of a sacrifice. Atop a hulking pedestal, a curved golden form distorts the reflections of the worshippers. Its neck and back, its flanks and hocks, its horns, all newly emerged from a carefully crafted mold. Behold your God, O Israel, that brought you up from the land of Egypt, shouts Jeroboam. They lift their eyes and gaze upon a golden calf. But before Jeroboam and his people can bow, a voice cuts through the air. Jeroboam does not recognize it. It sounds like a Judean accent, and it's speaking to the stones. Altar! Altar! This is what Yahweh says. A son named Josiah will be born to the house of David. Jeroboam's eyes search the hill for the source as his blood boils. The house of David? We left David's city and his failed lineage in Judah. We are Israel now, and this is our God. A man pushes through the crowd, locks eyes with Jeroboam, and continues the message. On you he will sacrifice the priests of the high places who make offerings here, and human bones will be exhumed and burned on you. The worshippers stand in shocked silence. This is the sign Yahweh has declared. This altar will be split apart, and the ashes on it will be poured out. Enough! Jeroboam's finger shoots toward the man of God, his arm outstretched like a gallows crossbar. Seize him! But as the guards advance, the king's eyes grow wide. His finger begins to wrinkle, darken. It curls and shrivels like a dead leaf. The rot spreads across his hand, his wrist. Jeroboam shrieks in pain as his blackened arm twists, wrenching coiled fingers this way and that. He is not pointing at the man of God anymore. The man of God's heart races as he watches the writhing king. Then a crack as the ground rumbles and the stone altar splits. The sacrifice topples, ash rains down and is swept into the Israelites' eyes by the wind. Please! Jeroboam looks from his desiccated arm to the man of God from Judah. Entreat Yahweh your God and pray for me that my hand may be restored. The prophet's heart pounds in the quiet. He weighs the options, or listens, perhaps, to a voice others do not hear. Everyone watches, waits. Finally, the man of God lifts his eyes beyond the calf, reaches wide, and prays to Yahweh. A gasp escapes from the king's mouth. It's everything that happened a moment ago, but in reverse. His arm expands, extends, the flesh lightens, softens. The crowd looks on in stunned silence. Jeroboam flexes his fingers, astonished, terrified, thinking 
come home with me, he says to the man of God. The man looks at him, confused perhaps. Come home with me for a meal, and I will give you a gift. Quiet again. The man of God eyes Jeroboam. Does he see what the ruler of the northern tribes is up to? Does he understand that this gift is likely a bribe, an improvised attempt to elude this foretold judgment, get close to Yahweh's pet, and make Yahweh change his mind? Escape by association. Does he see Jeroboam's intent? It seems he does. It seems, too, that Yahweh saw this coming. The man of God shakes his head. Even if you were to give me half your possessions, I would not go with you, nor would I eat bread or drink water here. He watches the king's expression change from magnanimity to vexation, but he keeps going. For I was commanded by the word of Yahweh, you must not eat bread or drink water or return by the way you came. Jeroboam sniffs, and the man of God pushes his way back through the crowd. He makes his way to the edge of the city and takes a new road south. Father, have you heard the news? White flyaway whiskers twitch as an old man opens his folded eyelids. If his features match his inner self, he has a narrow face extending to a protruded nose, the kind of nose that smells things before they can be seen. His eyes are dark, set wide and shallow like ebony beads. Arched eyebrows climb up his forehead in interest as he looks at his breathless sons. He squints, waiting for them to continue. A man of God came to Bethel. He came here today. From Judah, another adds. A, a prophet? Here? The old man's eyebrows push downward now, his mind alive with questions. A prophet, father, says another son, like you. They go on to tell him all about what the man of God said, about the fractured altar, and about the prophecy. The old prophet's hands tremble, perhaps, as he presses them for accuracy. Was it just the priests of this place who would be burned on the altar? Did he say anything about prophets? Finally, his sons have shared all they know. Which way did he go? They point in the direction of the road. The old man nods. Saddle the donkey for me. Under a gray fall sky, a donkey canters briskly along the road that leads south from Bethel. Staying atop, the loping animal occupies every piece of the old prophet's body, but his mind surely wanders. What does he think about as he searches for this mysterious man of God from Judah? Does he think back to when he was called? 
to be a prophet. Given his age, this is a vocation that began for him during the reign of Solomon, or David even, perhaps. The kingdom was united. Yahweh alone was worshipped. Prophets like Nathan were setting a tone of faithfulness and obedience. Did he try to carry that torch when Nathan was gone and Solomon began devoting himself to the gods of his concubines? When the culture shifted and new voices crescendoed, what did this prophet do with the dissonance? You have to survive, right? Watch the wind. Adjust your sails. And so it seems he did. A prudent choice, as far as he was concerned. But now a new wind is blowing. This man of God from Judah brought a word from Yahweh himself. These last many years, the old prophet may have found ways of compromising, blending in, but only a fool would ignore a direct word from Yahweh. This is no trifling gust. There is a hurricane coming. And so what now? Now to the sails. He pulls back on the donkey's reins. In the distance, an oak tree looms, its branches stretched toward the heavens as if in prayer. The old prophet squints. Sure enough, there is a man sitting in the shade of the tree. Time to make the play. Perhaps, perhaps if this were a few years ago, he might be able to repent, stand up to Jeroboam and move back into the favor of the God who is not a golden calf. But he's so old now, so tired. He cannot remit his sins. He might, however, be able to convince the man of God to entreat Yahweh on his behalf. A long shot, but he doesn't have much time, and a storm is on the horizon. Are you the man of God who came from Judah? He asks, dismounting gingerly and rubbing his aching thighs. I am. Relieved of its burden, the panting donkey's breathing slows. The skin of its shoulder twitches every so often, disrupting hungry flies. The old man nods. Come home with me and eat. The leaves of the oak tree rustle, stirred by the breeze. The man of God shakes his head. I cannot turn back and go with you nor can I eat bread or drink water with you in this place. I have been told by the word of Yahweh, you must not eat bread or drink water there or return by the way you came. The old man thinks quickly. Time to double down. If this poor young prophet must become collateral damage, so be it. His narrow face lifts dark eyes wide open and hands raised in assurance. I too am a prophet, as you are. And an angel said to me by the word of Yahweh, bring him back with you to your house so that he may eat bread and drink water. He holds the younger man's gaze, smiling, reaching his hand out in invitation. It does not shrivel. A nod. Very well. 
And with that, the man of God from Judah mounts his donkey and follows the old prophet back to Bethel. White whiskers twitch, and the lips underneath bend into a wry smile. Remnants of the meal litter the table. Ripped bread. Circles of spilled sauce. Wine pooled in the bottoms of cups. The old prophet eyes the man of God. Has he succeeded where Jeroboam failed? Swindled a bit of favor that might preserve Bethel's security? The old man cracks a joke, perhaps. A shared laugh. Yahweh looks on this communion. Enough. Suddenly, the old prophet's eyes change. The tremors in his aged hands cease. He sits up. He fixes these new eyes on the man of God from Judah and opens his mouth. This is what Yahweh says. You have defied the word of Yahweh and have not kept the command Yahweh your God gave you. The younger man stares, his heart racing. You came back and ate bread and drank water in the place where he told you not to eat and drink. Therefore, your body will not be buried in the tomb of your ancestors. No, I... You... The old prophet's eyes transform again from inhabited to shocked, as if he's just re-entered his body. He looks at the panicking man of God from Judah. Is there apology in his eyes? Outside, leather creaks as the old man heaves the saddle onto the man of God's donkey. He pulls the billet straps tight and then guides the bridle over the animal's face, sliding the cold metal bit into its mouth. Why does the elderly prophet do this for his younger, stronger guest? Perhaps it's simply the unbending cultural demands of hospitality. Perhaps it's an act of contrition. Or perhaps the Judean prophet is struggling to recover from the word that's been delivered to him. He walks out in a stupor to his donkey, unable even to saddle the animal. The old man does this for him, and eventually the Judean manages to put a foot in the stirrup and swing his leg across to the other side. At last, he guides the donkey to the road that leads south. The journey is quiet, uneventful, until it is not. He does not hear it until it's too late. A single twig cracks in the undergrowth. And then a flash of gold. Two giant paws fly through the air and land on the man of God's shoulders where ten claws perforate the skin. The donkey kicks, and the lion and the man fall to the ground. 
1,400 pounds of force meet his face, chest, and abdomen as the lion swipes across them, exposing muscle and bone. Before the man can react, the lion repositions and the man's eyes open wide as the enormous cat buries its scimitar teeth in his neck. He tries to scream, but he cannot. His windpipe, his jugular veins, and his spinal column are crushed in a ferocious bite. Death is instantaneous. And then, something bizarre. Yes, just standing there. A pair of men gesticulate enthusiastically to a growing crowd. The lion wasn't... No, that's what we're telling you. Even when you walked away? Yes, they're still there for all I know. Something like this, as news of the event travels through Bethel. Before long, the report reaches one house in particular, probably through the usual channel. Father, have you heard the news? White flyaway whiskers twitch as folded eyelids rise. The old man looks at his sons gathered around him breathlessly. They tell him what's happened, and when they're finished, he sighs. It is the man of God who defied the word of Yahweh. Yahweh has given him over to the lion, which has mauled and killed him, as the word of Yahweh had warned him. Then, saddle the donkey for me. The old prophet dismounts and rubs his aching thighs, taking in the scene. The man of God lies in the road, his body twisted unnaturally, a canyon cut from cheek to jaw. Crimson pooling around the hooves of a donkey, and a lion, defying every instinct, statued above the corpse. The old man approaches, bends, reaches beneath knees and neck, and with sudden unnatural strength, lifts the Judean onto the waiting donkey. He mounts his own animal and leads the other northward with its burden. At his home, his sons and their wives help the old man prepare the body for burial. They lay it to rest in the old man's own tomb, and he raises his wrinkled hands and frayed voice to the sky. Alas, my brother! Is his grief genuine? As they leave the tomb, the prophet says to his sons, when I die, bury me in the grave where the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his bones. His sons share a startled glance with one another. Compunction and generosity are one thing, but why this solidarity? Then the old man explains. 
for the message he declared by the word of Yahweh against the altar in Bethel and against all the shrines on the high places in the towns of Samaria will certainly come true. Of course, in the coming crusade, this Josiah would never disturb the grave of the Judean prophet who spoke against Jeroboam's idolatry. Their father's body will be safe if it's buried alongside the man of God. Escape by association. In spite of all of this, Jeroboam will not change his evil ways. He will appoint even more priests for the altars at Bethel and Dan, and there his people will bow before golden calves, history repeating itself in heartbreaking fashion. The idolatrous culture established by Jeroboam will wreck Israel for generations. Eventually, Yahweh will deliver this message to the king's wife. I will sweep the house of Jeroboam away as one sweeps away dung until it is all gone. Anyone belonging to Jeroboam who dies in the city, the dogs will eat. And he who dies in the field, the birds of the sky will eat. For Yahweh has spoken it. Eaten by stray dogs and torn asunder by vultures, they will wish for the merciful efficiency of a lion's mouth. And 300 years from now, a king named Josiah will in fact ravage the altar at Bethel. He will canvas the area outside the city and exhume the bodies of the priests and prophets who led the people astray. But he will leave one grave untouched. When Josiah discovers the centuries-old tomb of the man of God from Judah who foretold these very events, he will instruct his men not to disturb it. That body, and the one lying beside it, will be spared. And why will Yahweh make it so? The man of God from Judah who allowed himself to be misled the old prophet who lied to try and save himself, will they deserve this mercy? Perhaps not. The former has a better chance, maybe. Victim to another's scheme, disobedience born from weakness and naivete, rather than outright rebellion. But this other, this beady-eyed tactician, why spare him? It could be that Yahweh appreciates the old man's undeniable faith. Not a robust, shimmering faith, to be sure, but at the very least, this old prophet believed that Yahweh's word was irrevocable, inexorable, an immovable feature in the landscape that must shape one's navigation. If only Jeroboam had shared this conviction. For all his faults, 
the old prophet proved a shrewd manager of the time and opportunity he had left. Thankfully, salvation needn't be wrenched from the stingy fingers of the divine. Yahweh's grace is a way of startling even our wildest dreams. And so now, the two of them slumber in peace, waiting for the day when another man of God from Judah will come and begin setting things right once and for all, when he will invite those who've sullied their souls by listening to the wrong voices to die and enter the waters of baptism. They will be safe if they're buried alongside the man of God. Escape by association. Hey, Justin here. Thanks for listening to The Truth, The Messenger, and The Parasite. This one gave me a glimpse of some of Yahweh's complexity, and I loved that. I hope it blessed you. Okay, two things. First, a heads up on the holiday release schedule. The next episode will release on December 18th, and then Season 5 will continue on January 8th. I hope you guys have a marvelous Thanksgiving, and I'll see some of you in Northwest Arkansas this weekend. Second, if you haven't gotten your tickets for the Christmas show yet, don't wait. More than three quarters of the tickets are gone, and I want you to be there. Beautiful music, immersive storytelling, full-throated praise. This will be an extraordinary evening that I really believe will be the highlight of your Christmas season. I'm so excited about spending this time with you. So if you can get to Nashville on December 5th, get there. We'll gather in a hundred-year-old Gothic chapel and gaze on the wonder of our Eden-architecting, manger-sleeping God. Tickets are at holyghoststories.org. Links in the show notes. Finally, a huge thank you to our patrons. I really cannot express to you how much 10 or 25 or $50 a month matters. This podcast simply wouldn't exist without you. And to the chieftains of this clan of patrons, the raconteurs, we all love you. And so a big shout out to Joey at Creation to Revelation, Ryan and Kelly, Miranda, Amanda, Carrie, Joy, John, Joshua, David, Teresa, Daniel, Deborah, Terry, Rachel, Valerie, Travis, Steve, Shannon, Kara, Dawn, Jean-Paul, Brenda, Tiffany, Sarah Beth, Daniel, Stephanie, Helen, Hildy, Debbie, Susan, Rick, Stephanie, Derek, Mindy, Maddie, Jody, Jonathan, Ricky, Brandy, Mark, Kimmy, Stephen, Patrick, Liz, Stevens, Terry, Nelwyn, Julie, Aaron, Jamie, Bill and Trina, Jessica, Ken, Alyssa, Sloan, and Jamie. You guys are people worth being buried next to. Thank you. If you believe in what Holy Ghost Stories is about, you can join them at patreon.com slash holyghoststories, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash holyghoststories. The link's in the show notes. Holy Ghost Stories is a production of Hazefire Studios, manuscript editing by J.L. Gerhardt, research, writing, narration, and sound editing by me, Justin Gerhardt. Till next time. Thank you.